The first verse of Ezra gives us a lot of information. We're first introduced to Cyrus, king of Persia, and told that he's sending Israel back home just as God had foretold in the book of Jeremiah. Now Cyrus, he was the Persian king who overthrew the Babylonian kingdom. We can read about that happening in Daniel chapter 5 when Darius the Mede, one of Cyrus's commanders, takes Babylon. And if we're keeping track of Daniel's prophecies, which was what we read yesterday and the day before, this is the appearance of the second kingdom, the silver chest or the bear with three ribs. And we got two more to come before God establishes his kingdom. But Daniel isn't the only prophet who foretold Babylon's destruction. In Ezra 1.1, we see that all of this happened in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah. And we can look at passages such as Jeremiah 25 at verse 11 and read that this whole land will become a desolate ruin and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. When the 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation. This is the Lord's declaration. The land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity and I will make it a ruin forever. And again in Jeremiah 29 verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you. I will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. So God had promised to Israel that they would be in Babylon for 70 years. And eventually, Babylon itself is going to be punished for its sin. And all of this has been known and has been set in motion by God a long time ago. So when we read in Ezra chapter 1 verse 2, where Cyrus says, The Lord, the God of the heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judah, it's not necessarily a statement of faith being made by Cyrus. Cyrus, he allowed plenty of religious tolerance in his kingdom among the different nations that he conquered, but that didn't mean that he accepted what they believed. In fact, we have documents from Cyrus's reign, and he largely credits the god Marduk for giving him victory. But that doesn't make his statement any less true. Cyrus, he sees himself acting in his own best interest. But we, through all the prophets, we've been prepared to see God's hand guiding history. Another hint at God being behind Israel's release are the callbacks to the Exodus. When Israel was leaving Egypt, God had them ask the Egyptians for silver and gold. That's in Exodus chapter 12, verses 35 and 36. And when they came to God on Mount Sinai, they gave all of this wealth as their hearts were moved within them to build up the tabernacle, God's house within their camp. In Ezra chapter 1, starting at verse 5, we read some similar language. The family heads of Judah and Benjamin, along with the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had roused, prepared to go up and rebuild the Lord's house in Jerusalem. And all their neighbors supported them with silver articles, gold, goods, livestock, and valuables, in addition to all that was given as a freewill offering. Chapter 2 is then this long list of all the Israelites who returned to Israel. 42,360 of them. And these people, they show some real commitment. The first on list of things to do is to restore sacrifice. And in chapter 3, verse 2, they begin to build the altar. Even before laying the foundation of the temple, they determine that they're going to do what they can to offer their daily sacrifices. And in verse 4, they keep the Feast of Booths, a celebration of all the ways that God has blessed Israel. Two years after their return from Babylon, they can finally begin rebuilding the temple of God. And even with just the foundation laid, there are people celebrating and shouting for joy. But mixed in with that sound of rejoicing, it's the sound of weeping. 
We have those who had seen the temple in its former glory, and they can't hold back the tears as they remember the first temple being raised to the ground. And as great as it is to be back home, we have only 42,360 of them even bothering to come back at all. And in Ezra chapter 3, verse 3, we're told that they set up the altar on its foundation and offered burnt offerings for the morning and the evening on it to the Lord, even though they feared the surrounding peoples. Israel, they're excited to be back, but there's still plenty of obstacles and enemies to overcome if they're ever to go back to that former glory that they so desire. And so as we reflect on our own lives and the church that we're a part of, we might experience the same mixed emotions. We've been guaranteed success by God, as promised in Scripture and through prophets, that we can be transformed into His image, that His kingdom is going to overcome all the nations of men. But as we set out to do His will, we might find that there are fewer of us than we had hoped and far more enemies than we expected. But even though God may seem silent and distant, just as he is throughout the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, never saying a single word, we can be sure that he is still guiding his people to the coming kingdom.